Welcome to the Law School Admissions Simplify podcast, where we talk about all things law school admissions, LSAT, and otherwise. I'm Ben, and I do LSAT prep and law school admissions full time. You can find me on Instagram, where I post about the admissions process at LSA Simplified, or on my website, lsasimplified.com. I've written an LSAT book, you can find me on Amazon, and I host various LSAT prep options, as well as admissions help, all on my website. Alrighty, so today we have a few things. Um, first off, we're going to talk about general reading comp approach for the LSAT. So we'll be talking about what to, you know, pay attention to, what not to pay attention to, and my general strategy for, I mean, to be simple, the general strategy is pay attention to understand it. We'll go a little bit more in depth than that, but there will not be some tip and trick that completely unlocks reading comp because that does not exist. I will talk about some of the other um, advice that people tend to give in reading comp and why it tends to not be true. Uh, then we're going to introduce a new segment, which I call legit or bullshit, where we're going to talk about a piece of advice that I have heard from someone else in a piece in a position of authority talking about admissions to the LSAT and basically just going through their advice and talking about why it is or is not true. I'll, we'll be keeping a scoreboard for that. So currently it's zero to zero, but I expect that we are going to um, go up and down with that. If you have a submission for that, you're welcome to email me. Uh, we're also going to talk about law school lingo um, in the admission space. There's a lot of terms, jargon that gets thrown around. So we'll go through that. I will also read a diversity statement that someone submitted and we will wrap things up there. Okay. So first off, today we're talking about reading comp. Reading comp, for those of you unfamiliar, is the section of the LSAT where they're going to throw a passage at you, and it will have 18 to 20 sentences on some topic. They're intentionally poorly written, and people tend to get caught up in them because it's talking about some pretty boring topic, and not just talking about the boring topic, but talking about it in a complex way. So they tend to fall into four categories, which are legal passages. They have arts. They'll also have a humanities, so maybe on history or something, and then they'll have a science passage. And people tend to uh, have a section they don't like. Like maybe people really don't like the science passage because they're kind of the generic pre-law person that didn't take a lot of science courses. The reason they're doing pre-law potentially is because they weren't so hot at the science courses. That being said, you know, some people love the science ones. I found them really interesting, but it really comes down to personal preference. So one thing you have to get over is all the information is in the passage. You don't need to have any background knowledge on whatever topic they're talking about to do well on it. It could be about Chinese history, and you don't even need to be able to point to China on a map. You could answer all the questions accurately if you're a good reader. So the first thing is, if you have that mental block of these are complicated, they're hard to read, and I don't know anything about this topic, you're going to have to get over that because you need to understand these. I certainly remember back in school, like let's say I was in 11th grade English class and I got assigned some book I couldn't care less about. Charles Dickens would have been that author for me where you just got to sign a book and you're like, well, okay, uh, this sucks because I do not care about whatever he's about to write about. And it's going to be wordy. It's going to suck. So you start reading and next thing you know, you've read a whole page, but you all you were doing was scanning your eyes over the page to see like, what are the words? You weren't actually comprehending anything. You were just getting through it. And then you realize, oh crap, I didn't understand any of this. I have to rewind, go back and figure out what they were even talking about because I didn't understand anything. And if you do that on the LSAT, you're bummed because it's just not going to get it done. You have to actually understand the point. One thing that people often struggle on is they identify the topic of the passage, but not the main point. So like, let's say the topic is about the Aztecs, the um, civilization down in Central America and you know what they were up to. Identifying the topic is pretty easy. You're going to see the word Aztec come up over and over. But maybe our author is talking about how the Aztecs 
were really advanced and therefore they probably got visited by aliens. If all you took away from the passage was it's about Aztecs, you will have missed the main point, which is that aliens probably came and visited them and imparted part of their culture or science or whatever onto them. So on this reading comp, I like to ask why, not just what. People tend to be pretty good at identifying what the passage is about, like we just talked about Aztecs, but the difference between people that score pretty bad on reading comp and people that score higher is being able to identify why. And the why there would be they got visited by aliens. So you can't just understand the topic. You have to go deeper than that. With that, you can't allow yourself to not understand. Um, you are, you know, hopefully smart enough to get through these sentences. Yes, they suck and they are poorly written. But if you want to be a lawyer, you're going to read some nasty, nasty language. So this shouldn't be too crazy of a task. Um, so yeah, if you get through a sentence, every time you get to a period or, you know, even a comma, if it's a long sentence, just pause and ask, did I just understand what they said? Have a conversation with yourself. Think about, interesting, was that a fact about the world or is my author taking a stance on this? Are we just talking about what the Aztecs did or are we saying because of what they did, they must have been visited by aliens? So being able to identify where are we going? And then also, do you agree? Is our author making sense or are they making jumps? Your job isn't to argue with reading comp, but if you're having that reaction of what is true and what's not and whether or not you agree, it means you're invested and you can't be invested without understanding it. How could you have a stance on something you don't understand? So if you have a stance, it's probably a good sign. Additionally, let's say you do run into that situation where you read a sentence and you realize, okay, I did not understand that. Read it again. Don't just move on. If you move on, you're setting yourself up for failure. It's like sending a kid that failed algebra one into 12th grade calculus. They're going to fail because if you can't do X minus seven equals five, if you can't calculate that X equals 12, how are you going to do like I don't even know, um, integrals. I haven't done math in a long time. But the point is, is that these are building blocks. If you don't understand paragraph one, you're going to get slammed by paragraphs two, three, and four, just as if you didn't understand ninth grade math, you can't do 12th grade. So you, these build on each other. You have to understand it. And I find people often are so worried about getting it done in time that they just move on because they're like, oh, I didn't get it, but I don't have time to stop. So I'm just going to keep going. And you can't do that. You really have to focus on understanding before you focus on going fast. I promise you, if you understand it and you get better at these passages, you will naturally go quicker. When I started doing the LSAT reading comp, I was not that fast. It took me a while. Like I would barely finish in time, which most people should not be doing. But now reading the passage takes me like two or three minutes to read it like really well and be ready to absolutely crush the questions. So you really want to be spending your time in the passage, understanding it. The questions are real easy if you understand the passage. So that first piece of advice I would give is the battle is won in the passage, not in the answers. If you know what you're looking for in the answers, the wrong ones will jump out and the right ones will be like, okay, that's the only answer I could pick. Whereas if you just know the topic of this is about Aztecs, every fucking answer is going to mention the Aztecs. So you've done nothing. If you just got the topic, it's going to be impossible. And that's why people tend to really struggle with reading comp is because they're going too quick. They never actually get why the author wrote the passage. They just get the topic. And so because of that, all the answers are going to mention the Aztecs. But if some of them say the Aztecs were uncivilized, or the Aztecs were not visited by aliens, those would be blatantly incorrect if you understood what the passage was about. But if you just got the topic, those could look tempting. So you make it a lot easier on yourself by just going slower. Okay, and then with that, there are some advice from other folks that advise reading for structure or tone. One company has what's called view stamp, I'm not gonna name the company, but I will name it, which stands for view, structure, tone, author. And I wanna say the main point, I could be wrong about that, but. If you're trying to pay attention to all five or six of those things, it's going to be really hard to actually know what's going on. So what I recommend is read a sentence, get to a period, 
Did you understand it? If yes, move on. You don't have to notate all this shit. And people often do. Often when I see people's passages, they're all highlighted up. They've outlined all this crap. And basically you can't highlight main points. And that's what most people are highlighting. They're like, oh, this sentence looks important. So I'm going to notate that. And my question for you is if it's, if it's the first sentence and you determine it's important, how the fuck do you know that? Because it could say the Aztecs were a civilization in South America. And that could be important. Or by paragraph five, we're talking about how aliens have visited earth and we completely left Aztecs in the dust. You don't know what direction the passage is going to go into. So you don't know what's important until you've done, until you're done reading it. You can't connect the dots looking forward, only looking backwards. So you have to be very careful. If you're highlighting for main points, I promise you, you are incapable of doing that. I am incapable of doing that. Everyone is incapable of doing that. The only way you can highlight accurately on these is if you can tell the future. And I'm assuming you're not a psychic. So stop highlighting for main points. I promise you, you're not doing it. If you want to highlight for anything, which I'm, I'd say ambivalent on, you can go one way or the other. You don't have to highlight, but you could. The only thing I would advise is the author's opinion, because it's the only thing you can identify in real time as being important. Whenever our author editorializes and said the Aztecs were a good civilization or the Aztecs were a bad civilization, that is a clear editorialization by our author giving their opinion. And when they give their opinion, we're going, okay, that's important because, you know, it might not be, but questions often do come back to what our author thinks. And you directly know that that sentence or clause is something our author has committed themselves to agreeing with. So. Generally, don't highlight would be my advice. But if you're going to highlight anything, be direct, have intention. And that intention should be what our author thinks. It's the only thing I think you can meaningfully identify when you're doing the passage. Okay, cool, cool. I know a bunch of you are going to flush that and still continue to highlight. I really advise you not to do that, but you know, I, I can't control you. Just even if you're skeptical about like whether or not that works, give it a shot. Like see how it goes. And hopefully you see that pretty quickly. It's... um making sense or go back to a passage you've done and that you highlighted up and look at how much those highlights actually helped you. I'm guessing it didn't help you really at all. So, you know, do that. The only, I guess, case you could make for it is it helps people be engaged when reading, but I really, I mean, you shouldn't need to highlight up something to understand. It's 18 to 20 sentences. This is not some 50 page document that you have to like identify. Th these are short and they're actually about pretty interesting topics. If you try to trick yourself into caring about the Aztecs or French poetry or whatever they're talking about. So just get engaged. If you understand it, it's easy. Okay, cool, cool. Then once you get to the questions, um, before you get to the questions, after you've read the passage, you should predict that main point. You want to put it in your own words. Because if you put it in your own words, that answers about half of the questions. And I'm not being hyperbolic. Yeah, they will only ask you directly what's the main point once per passage, but they will often ask you very similar questions. Like, what does our author think? Which often comes back right to our main point. They will ask you, where would this passage continue? Like, what would it continue to write about if it kept going? Which will also come back to the main point. They could ask you the purpose or the structure, all of which comes back to that main point. So if you can identify the main point, you have answered about half the questions. And the other half of the questions will ask you details. Like, what, what did the author cite? What did the author mention? What does our author think about X? And those are real easy because you just look back to the passage and wherever they said it, that's your answer. And the answers that you can't pick are things they didn't say. Or they'll ask you, like, what did this word mean in context? Just look at the context. Those are the gimmies. You really can't miss those because that will build the foundation of your score. The main point ones, even though, yes, they're super predictable, tend to be the ones people struggle on. So make sure you're really getting those detailed questions. If you're missing ever a question that asks, which of the following did the author mention? That's a problem. That means you're like flying through the test without really any 
care for whether or not you get them right, because those are ones you can't miss. Like, yeah, it might take you 90 seconds to identify what they said, but you'll get it right. So don't skip through them. And then finally, there is a piece of advice out there, which is like to improve your LSAT reading comp, read The Economist, which is a well-written like newspaper as opposed to the LSAT passages that are intentionally poorly written. I think that's nonsense. Um, if you want to get better at LSAT reading comp, do LSAT reading comp. There's something like 400 some released passages. So it's not like you have a lack of ones to do. You have plenty. And then if you just want to get better at reading in general, just read more. Read stuff that interests you. It's not so much about what you're reading, whether it's The Economist or some really complex scientific journal. Instead, just sit down with something you actually enjoy and read that. That'll train your brain to like read better. And you probably should be reading. So if you're not reading, yes, you should read. Does it have to be The Economist? No. And in fact, I would advise not to. When I studied for the LSAT, I used to highlight up New York Times passages, which in hindsight is so stupid because the New York Times, like The Economist, is well-written as opposed to the LSAT, which is intentionally poorly written. So just be careful. Make If you want to do actual LSAT prep, do actual LSAT prep. If you want to read, read, but don't confuse reading as LSAT prep. It can be supplemental to whatever you're doing, but it's not you're actually studying. Okay. Well, we will go deeper into reading comp in the future um, in just other aspects of it. This really was meant to be an elevator pitch of just read to understand and identify the main point. Don't identify the topic. If you take one thing away, it's that you have to differentiate between the topic and the main point. All right. Um, so then going on from there, I'm introducing my new section called Legit or Bullshit, which I was listening to a different admissions podcast today. Um, it's hosted by two admissions officers at Harvard and Yale. Um, what's the name of it? Let, let me look this up. I think it's called um, Miriam and Christy. It, it's largely good. It's not bad. Like I, I don't, most of what they say is good. It's called Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. If you want to go check that out yourself, uh, it has largely good information. However, I do think they have a little bit of um, blind spots and I'll be going into one of those because they were doing a section called overrated or underrated where they talked about various admissions things and whether or not applicants tend to overrate them or underrated them. And one of the things they brought up was taking easy classes to boost your GPA. And they said that was overrated and I could not disagree more. Um, they're at Harvard and Yale. So everyone applying has a 3.9 to like 3.8 or 4.0. So it's like, oh, this person had a 4.0 in... Um, electrical engineering versus 4.0 and like political science or something. And they said that they really look at your transcripts, which that very well could be true at Harvard and Yale where they're working. I guarantee you that is not true at Oklahoma State School of Law. They do not care what classes you took. They just care what's your GPA because that's what they have to report to the ABA, which is what goes into the rankings calculation, which is what determines how many people apply to their school and how much money they get. So it's very much so a cynical take, but I think they have the privilege of being at a school where everyone is impressive. So like, yeah, you know, taking really easy classes, if you're fluent in French, I think that's what they cite as an example, and you're taking French 101 your senior year, that probably will be a red flag at Harvard or Yale. Is that going to be a red flag at Oklahoma State? Like, fuck no, they're, they're not reading it. And in fact, it's a pretty quick drop off after Harvard and Yale, where I think that probably doesn't matter. Um, Harvard and Yale, I know Yale's number one, I want to say Harvard's four or five now in the rankings. I think it's by school like six, they really don't care what your classes are. Like, yeah, are they looking at your transcript? Sure. But are they really going to turn you down because you had a 4.0 in poli sci versus a 3.8 in engineering? Like, no, the 4.0 in poli sci is technically a higher GPA. And that's what goes into the ranking, which determines whether or not they catch Harvard. And for what it's worth, Harvard used to be number three. They're number five now. Other schools are catching them. Chicago caught them. Um, who else jumped them? I think it's Penn. I want to say Penn or maybe it was Columbia, NYU. I don't know. The rankings change a lot. So I don't say that on top of it. But I know that Harvard's getting leapfrogged by these schools that maybe don't care. So maybe Harvard is true. 
And they really are looking at the classes on your transcript. But if they're doing that, they're getting punished in the rankings because schools that are willing to play the game and not care that you took French 101 as a senior are going to pass Harvard in the rankings because they are doing it. So I, I think everything is said, like, I don't think they were intentionally trying to deceive people. And it's probably true from their experience that they do really look at people's transcripts. I'm skeptical that that holds for admissions more broadly. So yeah, at Harvard and Yale, probably a bad idea to intentionally pad your transcript with really BS classes. They're going to sniff that out. But if you're applying to like your local state school or even schools at the lower end of kind of the elite schools, like the Vanderbilts, the um, Georgetowns of the world, I really don't think they care. I really think they're just so careful. They really either want to stay in the top 14 or they want to get there. And the way they do that is not by rejecting 4.0s that padded their grades. The way they get there is by not caring. I mean, the way they get there is actually by rejecting 3.5s that, you know, we're at service academies like the like West Point or the Naval Academy, which have really hard grading systems. But technically, it hurts their ranking to admit those people. So, you know, once again, I always come back to a very realist take on admissions and looking at the incentives. I think it's correct. And once again, I, I want to make it clear. I don't think that they're lying from their perspective. I do think that Harvard and Yale have different standards, but they're talking about admissions very broadly, talking to everyone. And yes, this is probably true at the Harvard, the Yales, the Stanfords. Is it true at even like Duke or Michigan? I don't, I don't know, maybe, but I'm skeptical. Okay, cool, cool. Well, that's that. Um, so actually we won't say that's BS because for, well, well, okay, we will say that's BS because it is BS for most people. Functionally for Harvard and Yale, I'd say it's probably true. Um, though there's a pretty quick drop off. So, you know, it is what it is. And if anyone wants to go deeper on that, just shoot me an email and we will evaluate even further. Alrighty, we are also talking about law school lingo. There's a lot of various terms um, in law school admissions and law school that get thrown around. I won't go through the law school ones because this is very admissions-based. Once you get to law school, this podcast will probably be behind you. But for um, admissions, you might hear 1L, 2L, 3L. That just refers to your year in law school. If you're a 1L, you're a first year. If you're a 2L, you're a second year. If you're a 3L, you're a third year. Fairly straightforward, makes sense. I've also heard people refer to themselves as zero L's, which are applicants. Just call yourself an applicant. It kind of seems silly to call you a zero L, but I mean, you could, I guess there's nothing wrong with it. It just seems overly um, complex already. Well, that was quick. So let's dive into the diversity statement I got submitted to me. So I will read this. I will go through it. Uh, we get a little bit more leeway in diversity statement to talk about what happened to us rather than what we did. Because the goal of a diversity statement is to just talk about what perspective you bring that is different from the average applicant. People often write about, um, I mean, racial identity is the most common because it is one way to bring diversity. And it's the one we most often think of as just colloquially, when we say diversity, you think about um, how people look. And so that is one way to do it. And it can be done very well. People also talk sometimes about like LGBT stuff, which once again, can be done well. There's a lot of gay people. So if you're just gay, I don't know that I'd write a diversity statement. Like, yes, technically it is diverse. It's not that diverse though. Um, I mean, you, you can do it well, you can also do it poorly. And then it doesn't have to be that. You can also write a diversity statement on something else. Like for example, do you, if you were in the military, that's different. Um, if you you know were a D1 college athlete, you could write about that. Please, if you're D3, don't write it. Um, I was not a D1 athlete either, but that doesn't mean that you get to write an essay about it. It has to actually be unique. I promise you there's a lot of D3 college athletes at every school you attend. It's not as unique as you think. Um, but you can also, you know, send an idea of what you were thinking about writing about if you're unsure. And if you don't have anything to say, that's also okay. You don't have to be diverse. It's just one way to add to your application if you have a way. However, a, a forced diversity statement is worse than no diversity statement. So if you don't have anything to write, that's okay. Just don't write it. That's totally fine. Okay, let's dive into this one. So they open by saying, I vividly remember the beginning of my senior year in high school. So I don't love that. I want to quickly get into how you're diverse. 
And here we're just saying you're in high school, which like, okay, fine. That's not hurting you, but I still don't know what you're bringing to the table. At this point, all you've talked about is you're, you in high school, which like cool, but you know who else went to high school? Literally every other applicant. So you have not diversified yourself at all. And we're one sentence into your diversity statement. So that's a problem. All right, we continue. The time of applying to colleges was starting and my college counselor summoned me to her office. So once again, everyone did that, that you're competing with. So probably don't mention it. Before I could say anything, she said, quote, I do not have much to say. I just don't think you should apply to colleges because you don't have papers. If you do, you're probably just going to drop out because you will not be able to afford it. Okay. So we're saying, I, I guess you, you don't have legal immigration status or you didn't at this point. Um, and this person saying, don't even bother, which I would just leave with that. Leave with a sentence that says I am, or when I applied to college, I was not a legal U.S. resident or something. Law schools tend to be very progressive. Um, and they are not going to like report you to ICE or anything. So you're fine. You don't have to worry about that. Um, actually, maybe I shouldn't say that because like, I don't want to be the reason someone gets deported. But the point is, is that like your losses are not going to discriminate you for that. Um, discriminate? Yeah. So, you know, you could say either way, lead with it. Don't wait to get there. Attack. Point out how you're diverse. Sentence one. And then you can add all this background info. Maybe. I don't know that I would talk about being in high school, but the point is you really want to aggressively get in how you're diverse, sentence one, so that if the person reading your application gets interrupted by a phone call, they're not like, oh, what do I know about this person? Well, I know they are in high school. Because like, that's not diverse. You want to get to the point. And the point here is how are you diverse? So lead with that. Start there. All right, continuing. I was heartbroken and felt hopeless. That's fine. I did not have the means to pay for school, but I knew that I was not going to let my immigration status stop me from pursuing higher education. Also fine. I sought help from another college counselor that guided me with the right steps to apply to college and also provided me resources to apply for scholarships that eventually paid for some of the first year of college. So yeah, I mean, this is fine. It's not that diverse. A lot of people do scholarships for undergrad. Um, I would probably lean more into your immigration status and less into uh, your college process because a lot of people can't pay for college. And in fact, the minority of people have parents that just pay for it. So, you know, just keep that in mind. While I was accepted to different UCs, uh, which are California schools, and private universities, I decided to attend California State University Long Beach because it was a more fitting financial option for me. Okay, yeah, so I would rephrase how you say it. You say, um, I would just say it was cheaper instead of it was a more fitting financial option. When possible, use fewer words. That's just a rule for everyone. If you want general writing rules, look up George Orwell's rules for writing. In fact, we'll have to go through that in a podcast episode because it's very good writing advice. And people often try to write fluffy, but short sentences are good. You want short words, never use a long word when a short word will do. So yeah, already continuing. Uh, so, so far, first paragraph, um, it's fine. Uh, a lot about your college application, which is fine. And I would probably steer away from that and talk more about your immigration status. Cause that's, I think more what's diverse being a, not, not poor, but not having like your parents fully covered in college. That's true of nearly everyone you're applying with. So it's not diverse. And once again, with the diversity statement, we want to focus on how you're different, not how you're the same. Which immigration status is like that is different, so that's fine. All right, let's continue. In order to afford tuition and personal expenses like rent, I mean, you can just cut personal expenses. I would just say like in order to like afford tuition and rent, I worked between fifty to sixty hours a week during the summer prior to starting at CSULB and continued to work while being a full time student in the fall of two thousand nine. Okay, so yeah, that's fine. Working a lot is good. Once again, not super different. I would lean more into the immigration status. You could have a slight thing about how you had to work full time because you didn't have financial resources. Once again, not having a lot of money is fairly common. Instead, I would steer into the immigration stuff. All right, continuing. I managed to get through my first year. However, I was forced to take an educational leave during the fall of 2010 because I was unable to complete my tuition payment. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's very passive. I was forced, I was unable. You want to be very careful with stuff like that. Uh, not that it's just, you know, soft writing. So I would run that through Grammarly. It'll catch that. And then additionally, you just want to, you know, take accountability for anything. Like saying you were forced to take a leave of absence, just say like, I took a leave of absence. It's not a bad thing to say. I took it because I couldn't afford it. That's totally fine. They're not going to blame it on you. But when you say I was forced to, it almost sounds like you're putting it on the school or other circumstances and you're taking less accountability. And as a general rule in our admissions package, we always want to be taking accountability for everything. Even if it wasn't your fault, say it was. Um, if you got caught cheating, because, or like, for example, I in college, I got written up twice when I was a freshman um, for dorm parties and I was not throwing dorm parties. My roommate was. But if I had to write a character and fitness thing explaining why I got written up as a freshman, I'm not saying, oh, it was my roommate. I didn't even want to throw the party. You just take accountability. You say, hey, I got written up twice for having too many people over on a Friday night. It was a mistake. I take accountability for that, et cetera. The last thing you want to do is say, oh, it wasn't even me. It was my roommate. Because then you sound like someone who's making excuses. And that's the last image you want to give to these people. Well, it's not the last image. You know, being a rapist or a serial killer is worse. But the point is, you don't want to be giving the image of being a excuse maker. Because then they're going to go, oh, what if so-and-so comes to our law school and can't afford tuition? Are they going to blame that on us? Are they going to become a dissatisfied, disgruntled person? So, you know, just take accountability for everything. Even if it's not your fault, say it is. Uh, it's just a ge good general rule for life too. Don't put things on others. Take accountability yourself. Okay, continuing. During my leave, I continued to work endless hours to save for upcoming semesters, and I was able to return in the spring of 2011. Um, spring is capitalized, doesn't need to be. Spring is not a proper noun. You can uh, lowercase that. But okay, sure, you're working. Once again, not what I focus on. Not that it's bad, just not diverse. I was hopeful that I could manage both, working and being a full-time student. And you have a comma there you don't need, so just clean that up. Grammarly will catch all that for you. I could not endorse Grammarly more. Get it, all of you. It's much cheaper than paying someone to read your stuff. Like, yes, pay us. Uh, and by us, I mean me to help you. But um, with that, for just like write, writing, don't. Like, just do Grammarly. We're here for content, or we should be here for content. If someone's just catching your typos. It's, I swear to God, it's so much cheaper just to get a software for that. Okay. So unfortunately, I had to withdraw from two class because it became impossible for me to perform well in school and work long hours. Once again, we're putting the blame on something else. It's too hard. I have too much on my plate, which like, yes, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure you're working crazy amounts. You said 50 to 60 hours a week. That's a ton. And you have school on top of that. But I wouldn't say it's impossible for you to perform. I would just say I had to withdraw. Like when you say impossible, it almost feels as if you're putting the blame on your circumstances, which very well could be true, but we don't want that image. We don't want that when we're applying because it could leave that sour taste of this person's a complainer. Whether or not that's true, that could be the impression you give off. So you got to be very careful with stuff like that. Okay, continuing. I attended school part-time in fall of 2011 as well and continued to work and save. Fine. I often felt helpless and upset, especially because other students did not have the same challenges. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very cliche, but everyone has their challenges. I would generally probably not say something like that. It feels very um, tunnel vision where you're kind of looking at your situation and not considering what other folks are going through. I'm sure, yes, a lot of people do have it easier than you. People also probably have it worse. So uh, just want to be careful whenever you say something about others. Keep, keep your statements to you. Don't don't talk about other people. Um, just because it can come off as bitter. And look, I don't think that's what you're saying, but a skeptical reader could. And you don't want to invite the skeptical reader to attack you on any point. You got to be really careful in these um, components of your application. Okay. Their struggles were choosing whether they would go on their next vacation from school or which school event they were going to cut, to attend. Cut all that. Just access it. We don't want that in our essay. It became more apparent that my experience was different because of my inability to get financial aid and socioeconomic status. 
yeah, I really wouldn't be focusing on your socioeconomic status. Focus more on not being able to get financial aid because of your non-legal immigration status. The fact that you couldn't fill out FAFSA and get student loans. So you had to pay per school in cash. Like that's a real thing you can talk about. Talking about how the kids going to Cancun pisses you off. I, I, I wouldn't write about that. Focus on you, not on people you can't control. I knew, however, that if I wanted to complete my education, I had to continue on focusing on working to complete my degree. I would cut that as well. That's kind of redundant. We, we know that's true. All right. In the spring of 2012, I was able to enroll in school full-time after having saved enough money that allowed me to reduce working about 35 to 40 hours weekly. All right. So you're working less. Good. Another thing to note is that these statements tend to be about one page. This is two pages already. So we, we got to cut down a lot, which we already talked about. I would focus more on the immigration status rather than the, uh, the socioeconomic, and that should help get this down to one page. However, I was still not able to attend school events, participate in internships, or spend time socially socializing with friends or classmates. I was taking all my classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays to avoid driving to campus and maximize my time studying and doing schoolwork. Um, yeah, I would focus more on your um, immigration status. In addition, I was also managing my mental health. Don't, bad, never mention mental health in your applications because the skeptical reader can go, oh, this person has mental health issues. Are these gonna flare back up in law school and impair their ability to be a good law student? Like, yes, schools are not allowed to discriminate, but how easy would it be to reject this person and then just say, oh, it was for some other reason? It's super fucking easy. No one asks why they reject you. They can reject you for whatever reason they want. So technically, yes, is it illegal? Sure. Can they do it? Absolutely. And there is no one to stop them. So don't mention anything mental health or disability related ever. People push back on that. Don't do it. It's not helping you. It's only bringing up objections. I Once again, I don't care if you have these things under control now. Just don't mention them. It's not a point in your favor. If this were in court, you would not bring this up to help you. This would be a fact that the prosecution would bring up to get you locked up as a reject. So don't bring it in when you're the defense trying to get yourself admitted. It's it's not a good way to do it. I've just cut all that. And that goes for basically anything disability-wise, whether it's health, um, mental health, physical health, just either, are there exceptions because things are not black and white, 100 and zero? Like, yeah, probably. Is this like a 99-1 situation? Probably more extreme than that. I. I mean, you're welcome to send your statement if you think you're the exception. I really doubt you are. Um, although I'm sure there's like 10 people listening right now that are like, I'm the exception. I, I'm almost certain you're not, if you're having that thought. Most, like, it's possible you are. It is possible. However, I would bet a lot of money for any given one of you that you were not the exception. Alrighty, continuing. Um, I was going to school not knowing what I would do after graduation since I was not allowed to work. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Talk about that because that gets back to immigration, which is what we care about. In June 2012, DACA was enacted and was the hope that I needed not only for my professional career, but also education. Cool. Yeah, good. Talk about DACA. Talk about being a DACA recipient. That's all really good info. As a DACA recipient, I had a better paying job, which resulted in reducing my work hours more. Sweet. Like, this is all good. Talk about this. Talk about how you were DACA. Don't talk about being poor, uh, just because a lot of people are poor. It's just less diverse. And our whole point is to be diverse. If what you say in your diversity statement could apply to anything more than like 5% of the incoming class, it does not belong in a diversity statement. And I guarantee you like 30% of the class is low income. Are there a bunch of rich trust fund kids that come from like big law firms in DC? Sure. And there, but also you don't want to be, you know, hitting on those kids either because, you know, they didn't do anything wrong largely. And earlier in your statement, you were talking about how they were going on vacation and they don't understand. And that might be true of some of them. I, in fact, I believe it's probably true, but you don't want to say that because you just don't want to come off as that. They haven't done anything to you. And yes, it sucks that you had a harder situation than they did, but there are also people that had a worse situation than you did and that can't even fathom the ability to attend law school. So you just want to be very careful with perspective on all that stuff and um, sounding like you're complaining. Okay, so you were able to focus more on your education and bring your GPA high enough to graduate from lab. Great, great fact. Talk about graduating with honors. Awesome. 
crushing it. That's way better. And then finally, we have our last paragraph, which is my personal experience led me to want to pursue a career advocating for the immigrant community for the past seven years. Um, yeah, I would talk about if you've done like paralegal stuff or stuff like that, that could help. Uh, just talking about how you want to advocate. You know, if you haven't done any advocacy, probably don't mention it because you want to actually be able to back it up. But also I would probably cut this whole last paragraph because, you know, we really want to focus on your identity and what you bring that's diverse rather than what you hope to do with your legal degree. Since working with minors and mental health challenges in the context of immigration law, I first wanted to pursue my master's in social work to have a holistic approach in the services I provide. Um, okay, that's fine. However, does a master's in social work actually help you be a better lawyer? Maybe. Does it do it for like however much it costs? Probably not. Certainly it's not worth a year of your time. I would probably not mention it. Um, it'll be on your resume. You don't need to restate it. They know you have a master's degree. You don't need to talk about it. And it's really not much of a perk in your favor. Um, so I would just cut that, but I, I'm leaning towards cutting this whole last paragraph for what it's worth for the person that submitted this. However, it was always my intention to return to my graduate studies as a law student. That, huh? Okay. Yeah. If, I mean, if you want to be a lawyer, it doesn't matter what you do. It's like, let's say you're Harry Potter and you go to Hogwarts. Does it matter if you have an MBA or a JD? It doesn't matter because once you go to wizard school, you're, you're a wizard. You're not an accountant. You're not a lawyer. You're a fucking wizard. And that's kind of how law is. Any degree you have other than a JD is kind of useless. It, well, other than your bachelor's, which you need to get in. Well, if you have an MBA and you're a JD, then that's probably the most useful. Still not that useful though, because you're not doing business. You're a lawyer. You're going through contracts. You're doing all that crap. You're not running spreadsheets in Excel. Like you really, so I, I don't know, like people tend to, I'd say, overestimate the value of their graduate degrees. Just be careful. Like, are, do they help? Sure. Are they worth one LSAT point? Probably not. Um, so be careful with them. People really often think they're like, oh, I have a 150 LSAT, but I have a master's. Will I get into Harvard? It's like, no, they won't even read your application because that's so far below. Even if you have 165 and a master's, Harvard don't care. So just be careful with those. They're often overvalued in my opinion. All right. So my MSW provided knowledge on ways to prevent vicarious trauma, um, along with techniques to approach sensitive cases. Yeah, I cut that as well. I want to continue using these schools and be the lawyer that immigrant children and our community need. I believe that blank law school's program will equip me with the skills and knowledge necessary to be a lawyer while allowing me to keep my employment and take care of outside responsibilities. All right, so I'm assuming you're applying to part-time programs. Um, yeah, just cut all that. You don't need this lofty conclusion. Schools get to their own conclusions. They understand that if you're a DACA recipient, you've gone through all these experiences and what that brings to your class. You don't need to like tie this all into this broader narrative. You can when it makes sense, yes, but here, I would say as a general feedback, just cut all the socioeconomic stuff and then lean into the DACA stuff and how that affected your education. So like how, you know, if you had to take time off school, say because of your um, immigration status, you couldn't get FAFSA money. So you couldn't take out loans like the average kid could. Um, let's talk about that. That'll be more powerful and hence make you a better applicant. Alrighty, cool, cool. So that is the agenda for today. We're not going to take a visit to Reddit. We will be doing that in the future though, because uh, I think that's a fun section. Um, but yeah, so if you want to hear about anything LSAT or admissions related or have your statement read on the show, you can send an email to ben at lsasimplified.com to get your question on the agenda. It can be anything, really anything can go. Just email me. I definitely need more content. So I'm happy to go through those. While I have a lot to talk about, you know, it's easy just to talk through emails. And if you have something, I will blabber about it. And that's always fun. Also, I don't advertise the podcast. So tell a friend, um, you know, Let's help grow this. It is one of those things where I'm happy with how it's doing already, but also, you know, I know it can be better. I think I have a really, a lot of good info here and I'm always open to going deeper on any of my points. So it's a good resource. And because of the small size, because currently I'm not that large of a podcast, 
you know, if you do email, you'll get it, you'll get your question answered and on air. So you are in early. Hopefully it's at a point one day where I don't, I can just reject people and be like, ah, get lost. I have too many emails, but we are not there yet. We are not even close to there. So if you have a statement that you want on the show, sign it over. I guarantee you it will make it on at some point in the coming weeks. And yeah, otherwise, thank you for hanging out with me and I will see you next time.